Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fun Calibre. I'm joined this week by George Curtis, Portfolio Manager and member of the multi-sector bond team at 24 Asset Management. Today, we're going to be talking about the whole fixed income spectrum from high yield through to government bonds. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll have given a thorough overview. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll have given a thorough overview on market conditions and what bond investors are seeing at the moment. So, George, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. So let's start a bit broad and then we'll get into some specifics. What is your outlook for the global economy today, uh, beginning of March 2023, and how might that impact bonds in the next 12 to 18 months? Okay, good question. Um, let's start uh, quickly by saying, well, 2022 was obviously you know one of the worst years on record for for global bond markets. Uh, we had you know inflation that was uh, at multi-decade decade highs, and we had central banks that um, you know had been at zero lower bounds for much of the last decade. So we had a sharp adjustment from the central banks. Towards the back end of the year, though, we did get clarity on some of the issues that had driven markets last year. Uh, so inflation started to roll over. That gave us better visibility on where the central banks were going to end up. It gave us better visibility on the central bank reaction function. We had better clarity on how European economies were going to deal with the war in uh, Ukraine uh, and more specifically gas prices helped fortunately by uh, a warm winter. Uh, so gas prices just declined significantly. Uh, and we also had rather surprisingly to us at the time, um, China at the end of the year hastily uh, uh, get rid of the zero uh, COVID policy uh, that they had been uh, utilizing for, for, for the years before, which you know obviously improved growth forecasts for China. So you know, all to told, our probability of a hard landing has reduced. Um, so we see you know, three main scenarios. Uh, our probability of a hard landing has reduced to somewhere around 20%. And we see equal weighting, probability weightings of a soft landing and a soft-ish landing. Uh, a soft-ish landing being one where we do see a recession, but where we think the unemployment rate and where we think default rates will stay lower than they have been uh, Previous recessionary cycles, uh, in a large part because we think you know corporate balance sheets and consumer balance sheets are in a in a very strong place. Where does that leave us uh, uh, for fixed income? Well, fixed income is a very interesting place at the moment, um, and starting yields at the beginning of this year were the highest in, in over a decade um, across both high yield uh, and investment grade uh, and indeed uh, government bonds. Uh, so, you know, while we expect volatility to remain elevated in the coming, you know, 18 months, while we expect the data, you know, not 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 it's not going to move in a straight line, you know, we think the outlook uh, for for fixed income is positive given those those elevated all-in yields. And then if we can just look at some of the different areas within the bond market and we'll start with high yield you mentioned it there but um so high yield are these companies that are deemed the most risky to to lend to but which compensate investors for that risk with a higher level of income so why is this area interesting to you today what level of income are investors getting what's to be expected 
it, yeah, it's a good question. So you're right to say that companies in the high yield sector are deemed the most risky, you know, across the credit spectrum. This is where the vast majority of defaults happen. 99% of defaults happen in the high yield sector. So in order to be invested in this sector, you have to have a good idea on your default outlook. And also you have to do, you know, rigorous bottom-up analysis. Interestingly, given all of the uh, 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 tensions we've had in the macro side of things, the default rate forecast, the default rate outlook has remained very benign. Uh, and that's for one of the reasons I mentioned earlier, corporate balance sheets are in a very strong place. Uh, leverage is at the bottom of the decade low, of the decade range. Uh, we have interest coverage, which is a, a metric measuring earnings over interest at all-time highs, uh, and we have cash as a percentage of debt on balance sheets at record highs. So European high yield, let's take uh, the default rate for 2022. Given everything that's happened, there was a war in Europe, the default rate ended the year in, at 0.4%. And forecasts for default rates uh, this year are for it to remain uh, below historical averages, both actually in Europe, the UK, and the US. So the default rate outlook is benign, uh, and you are getting, um, as I mentioned, yields that are high, the highest they've been really since the sovereign credit crisis in Europe since 2012. Having said that, we don't think this is the time to be reaching for yields. So you know, within our portfolios, we have been reducing our exposure uh, to high yields, just particularly given the, the yields that we are seeing in higher quality areas of the market now. Uh, but also, we want to reduce our exposure to those names that are most sensitive to recessions uh, and the names that we have been invested in. We want them to have strong pricing power. So our overall allocation to, uh, to high yield has reduced. And within the high yield bucket, we have moved up in quality. And so you said you, you, you're you reducing your exposure to, to high yield and you slightly mentioned the kind of threat of recession. Um, are these high yield companies more at risk if a recession does come through? And does that, I guess, vary by the regions that you're looking at, whether it's US versus Europe versus UK, they all kind of different outlooks depending on geographies as well. Yeah, so so this is a good point. You're You're right. Companies in the high yield sector are most vulnerable to recessions. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, for reasons that I've mentioned, we think even in a, a, you know, in a recessionary environment, we're not going to go to the default levels that we saw in 2008. We're not going to go to the default levels we saw in, in 2000. We will be significantly below that. The way we think about uh, regions is we look at things on a fundamental basis. We look at things on a valuation basis. Fundamentally, you probably want to be in the US, right? Because you know you've got a labour market that's at, uh, at record lows. You've got inflation that's coming down faster than it is in in Europe, faster than it is in the UK. But dollar high yields is more expensive than euro high yield or sterling high yield, for example. So valuations in Europe are cheaper. Uh, dollar high yield, the index uh, is trading at a dollar yield of eight point five percent. If we take the euro yield on the euro high yield index and swap it into into dollars, so we can we can measure apples to apples, uh, the the yield on the euro high yield index is 1.3 percent higher than it is in the US. And it's worth saying that the US high yield index is lower quality. The average rating, credit rating, which measures as a measure of risk, 
is single B plus versus double B minus uh, for European high yield. So European high yield is is is, is more highly rated. Um, so we, we we view these things uh, on a on 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 both a fundamental and a valuation perspective. We have. Um, you know, a relatively equal weight uh, within the portfolios of US high yields and European high yields at the moment, but both, as I mentioned, have have reduced over the last twelve months. And then, just before we move out of a high yield, um, we you've talked about US and Europe. Where, as I'm sure listeners will be wondering, where is the UK high yield market sitting on kind of this spectrum um, that you've just kind of explained? Yeah, it's uh no, it's a good question. Um, so look, the, the sterling the sterling high yield market is much smaller than both the euro high yield index and the dollar high yield index. The dollar high yield index is two trillion dollars. European high yield index is five hundred billion euro. Sterling high yield index is sixty seventy billion pounds. Uh, so it's significantly smaller. It's maybe a slightly more illiquid market. And generally trades at higher spreads than both Europe and the US. Interestingly, and 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 you're right to point it out. Actually, the spread between sterling high yield and euro high yield is the highest that it's ever been. It was at its 99th percentile at the back end of last month. So we certainly think there are interesting, uh, you know, opportunities in the in the sterling high yield space with all in yields over nine percent. Excellent. Well, we'll kind of move on then from from high yield and maybe go into investment grade. So these bonds are from more reliable companies. Is investment grade presenting uh, new opportunities? Is that kind of you mentioned reducing exposure to high risk? Are you going into investment grade or something else? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, absolutely. So investment grade is you know more attractive than it's been in a long time. Of course, you know, in Europe, we've had, as I mentioned, we've had a decade of of negative rates, almost a decade of negative rates. Um, but now, given the move we've seen in government bond curves, uh, given the spread widening, the spread, remember, is a, is a measure of credit risk, we've seen in, in, in credit, yields are significantly above their longer term average. So Euro IG, for example, is yielding you approximately 4% in Euro. If I swap that back to, to sterling, and we are we are not FX experts, we swap everything back to the base currency of the fund. That's a sterling yield of five and a half percent for an index that is rated A minus. So yeah, absolutely no default risk. These are you know the largest companies in the world. The 10-year average for that index is 1.2%. So we are over three times higher the 10-year average. The, the, the 20-year average is 2.6%. Uh, and that obviously includes the financial crisis where yields went to you know over 7% in Euro IG. So we view Euro IG uh, as attractive. We have, as you mentioned, rotated some of the high yield exposure we have had into the investment grade market. Our preference within that space is to invest in the financial space. You know, banks uh, have, since the financial crisis, had a decade of um, capital generation, building capital uh, at the behest of the regulator, but it has meant that they have rock solid balance sheets, which ultimately protect us as bondholders. And, you know, we just saw during 2020 and 2021 how solid these balance sheets were with many of the banks generating uh, very solid profit and they are 
you know, there is a lot of protection for us as bondholders, even in the more subordinated part uh, of the capital structure within a bank's balance sheet. So, you know, we can take subordinated bank risk uh, of, of investment grade companies. So take a Barclays, you know, one of the biggest, uh, biggest banks in the UK, they issued an investment grade rated subordinated uh, financials bond yesterday at a yield of 9.25%. This to us seems like very good risk to hold throughout the cycle, whatever your view on the macro is. Um, so this is what we've been uh, doing uh, in investment grade. And then another area to touch on is obviously government bonds. Um, listeners might know them as UK gilts or US treasuries. And you know, since these loans are backed by governments, um, we like to think of them as less risky. Obviously, emerging markets would be slightly different. Um, but what opportunities are you seeing in government bonds, either in the last few months or even kind of looking forward? How are you viewing the the government bond opportunities? Yes. Yeah, so, in line with what I've you know been saying in terms of yields in the investment grade market and 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 the high yield market, government bonds you know, now offer you they offer you yield, they offer you protection and they offer you flexibility we have a preference for treasury curves for us government bond curves because we we have better clarity on what we think the F, the fomc the federal reserve um, is going to do um and inflation is coming down faster than it is in europe and the us but also it's a much more liquid market and we want that flexibility in our government bond bucket we want flexibility to go from short dated government bonds to long dated government bonds which we've been doing over the last 12 months so 12 months ago within our portfolios all of our government bond bucket was in one year government bonds but as yields rose through the year we extended the interest rate duration uh, of that bucket, i.e. we were buying longer and longer bonds. So we, uh, at the moment, we think there are very few scenarios where you lose money in a 10-year US Treasury at 4% over a kind of medium to long-term view. So that's what we've been doing in, 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 in government bonds. And that, that bucket, that allocation to government bonds, acts as the balance to the credit in the portfolio. As the cycle child, I would maybe just add there that, you know, as the cycle changes, um, when I say that government bonds offer liquidity, offer flexibility, and, you know, these cycles are changing very quickly. Um, you know, just think how quickly things have changed over the last uh, 12 months. We want to be able to remain nimble. So if the fundamental outlook changes, we want to be able to, you know, move into less credit. We want to be able to move into more credit or we want to move into different parts of, of, of the of the rates curve. And that liquidity and that flexibility is 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 uh, uh, you know is, it, you're able to do that quite easily when 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 you when you hold treasuries. Great. Um so just lastly I wanted to finish with emerging markets and Specifically, I noticed that the 24 Dynamic Bond Fund has been reducing its exposure to emerging markets. So maybe tell us a little bit more about what's happening in the emerging market kind of bond space, but also why this reduction in the Dynamic Bond Fund? What's been happening with that fund specifically? Yes. Okay. Uh, good question. So, you know, coming into 2023, there were probably good reasons to be optimistic about emerging market, right? We had, you know, the, the Fed who had started to slow their pace of rates, 
we had the dollar started to weaken um, versus a very strong 2022. You know, and, and these things are usually positive for emerging market. That coupled with obviously very high yields. Um, but I would say that on a relative value basis, developed market yields are significantly, also significantly higher than they were 12 months ago. Uh, and the re- relative value of developed markets, if we can get a triple B, you know, an investment grade bond of a Barclays, a big UK bank at nine or 10%, then you don't need to, as I mentioned, reach for yields. You don't need to go into a, you know, small Latin American telecoms producer or, or whatever the company is, um, because there is a significant yield uh, on offer in developed markets and developed markets usually leave lead the recovery. Um, so that's the first point. I would say the second point is the ESG landscape of emerging markets has become much more difficult to navigate. Um, you know, with the likes of Russia and Putin invading Ukraine, with the likes of, of, of China, who essentially allowed their you know property market, which is you know generally almost 25% of their GDP, uh, you know, a large part of the, of, of those bonds had to, you know, had to default. So you have to have a very thorough view on, on the political environment. And, and it just makes the, the, the analysis of governance within your ESG calculation uh, much more difficult. Uh, so we have significantly reduced our exposure to emerging markets over the last 18 months, let's say. I wouldn't see it increasing uh, much in the short term from here. And then you just mentioned the ESG there. So just a quick question. How much are you seeing the ESG kind of space change within the bond market? Um, We hear there's things, you know, green bonds, blue bonds, and all of these very niche examples. But when you're looking at the broader market, how much is ESG becoming an influence for what you're seeing when looking at bonds, but also within the funds and analysis you're doing? Yeah, so we very much take an integrated approach and we do that because we think ESG is a credit risk. We think um, that, you know, as part of your credit analysis, you have to integrate an ESG analysis because, you know, these are where flows are going. This is where flows are going and this is where investors are going to put capital to work. So, you know, we are seeing um, lower interest rates. Bonds are able, companies are able to issue at lower rates if they have a good ESG score versus if they have a bad ESG score. So it's something that uh, we are, you know, very conscious of. You know, obviously as fixed income uh, you know bondholders we are you know we don't have a share in the company we're not shareholders we don't have voting rights so for us engagement is very important uh, and focusing on engaging with companies focusing on um, momentum and um, helping them uh, you know move to a more sustainable company these these are all important things but you know no doubt as you, as you say um, it's becoming increasingly more important so we are seeing I would be very surprised if a, if a company came to the market and did not have a slide on the ESG. Um, we're seeing, you know, even the lower rated private high yield deals, they are building out ESG teams. Uh, most of them now have sustainability reports. Most of them uh, report on scope one, scope two, scope three emissions and, and other key ESG data. That's something that we would continue, expect to continue, uh, of course. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, much more 
green issuance, sustainability linked issuance, uh, et cetera. I think it's important not to be not to get wrapped up in the title of, of a lot of these bonds. You still have to do the ESG work and not take it for, for, for granted. Um, but yes, absolutely no doubt this is becoming it's becoming very important and will continue to will continue to remain important in the coming years. George, thank you so much. That was a excellent overview of a lot of different things happening at the minute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having, having me, Stacey. 24 Asset Management is an independent firm specializing in fixed income investments. The 24 Absolute Return Credit, 24 Corporate Bond, and 24 Dynamic Bond Funds are all elite rated by Fund Caliber. The 24 Dynamic Bond Fund is the most flexible of the three and may invest across the whole range of fixed interest assets. To learn more about any of the elite rated products from 24, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. Mm-hmm.